Welcome to the Redshirt Collective, a Star Trek watch-along podcast where we analyze and talk about all seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation from a radical leftist perspective. So energized with Earl Grey tea and chocolate from The Replicator, set your phasers to fun, and prepare to engage. Ready, Captain? Yes, Captain. Make, Make it, it so. so. Welcome aboard. Hey, Nick. Hey, Mike. Nick, what are we talking about today? Oh, today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 6, Lonely Among Us, the one in which Picard gets turned into pure energy, and we don't talk about that. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh... I literally was like, how does this happen? And we've never discussed it before. <laughs> this is such a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the crew just moves on and no one ever mentions it ever again. <laughs> Which which is kind of the theme of Star Trek, like, hey, we almost died <laughs> next week on Star Trek. You know, it's like the cartoon at the end where everybody laughs together. Like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, I guess that's fine. Okay. It yeah. made me think a lot of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know if you watched that at all. No, I've never seen, but I, I do know the reference. But just like how Agent Coulson dies and gets brought back and it's like a huge deal and they continuously talk about it all the time. And I just think like, uh, where is Picard's narrative where we talk about what happened to him? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, let's let's talk all about it. Yeah. Let's find out how this happens. We begin this episode with the Enterprise orbiting the two major planets of the Beta Runner system. Their mission for this episode is to get the Antikins and the Soleil, the two wily contentious delegations from each planet that are deadly enemies, to their sector's neutral conference planet called <sighs> Parliament. <laughs> it was Sorry. like, of course it fucking is. Yep, of course. <clears throat> to try to resolve their disputes as they both have applied to enter the Federation. Uh-huh. We first meet the Soleil, who are a race of people who look and sound like reptiles. They're pissy about the Antikins being picked up first and about their own suites' proximity to their enemy suites. <laughs> they, demand <a> they demand accommodations <laughs> further away and upwind from the Antikins, which is confusing because they're on a ship with circulating air. But anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm sorry. I know we got to move on, but... We cannot just pass over the part where they said they cannot be upwind on a starship, which I wrote literally. Nick and I did not plan that like that. Just so just so you know, listener, single we're listener, that we're just in sync. I have that exact note. I had to I had to mention that it's like upwind on a starship. Like, what? What? <laughs> and they're just like, sure. <laughs> Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Fart jokes aside. <laughs> Whew, all right. Security officer Tasha Yar makes a snar snarky comment about how neither race seems a good fit for the Federation to Captain Picard. Later, up on the bridge, Commander Riker and Captain Picard discuss the animosity between the two species. Riker says he never understood this kind of hist hostility, even when studying Earth's history. Picard states that these life forms, meaning the Antikins and the Sleigh, feel such passionate hatred over matters of custom, god concepts, and even, strangely enough, economic systems, which I have so many thoughts. 
but we'll save that for later. Oh, thoughts on that for sure. I assumed you would as well. Yeah. Also, though, just like as a side note to it, I did kind of find it funny that these these two species like ne- like play zero role in the rest of the episode. <laughs> it's kind of no. like it's kind of like an episode of The Simpsons, you know, where it starts <laughs> off like with Homer sitting at his desk, and then somehow it ends up being about Bart going to the moon or something. You know, you're like, how yes. did how did we get here? <laughs> yes, I literally have that in my notes. Like later. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, now disregard everything that you just heard because it doesn't matter. <laughs> yep, exactly. So up on the bridge, Data interrupts Picard's speech to announce that the scanners have sighted an unusual energy object up ahead. On screen, we see what looks like a very lovely watercolor painting of clouds. <laughs> we find out the object has no solid matter, is made purely out of energy, and is traveling at warp speed. Picard orders the crew to change course to get closer to the object (laughs) and make a close sensor pass, despite knowing nothing about this entity, having two foreign delegations on board, and needing to be somewhere at a certain time. Quick, get us closer to that unknown (laughs) object. Faster. I just wanted to point that all out. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, that's really what you do when you don't know about something and it could be dangerous. You just yeah. you move right towards the center of it. And you have, like, visitors on board yeah. <laughs> and, like, a very important mission that has a, that's time-sensitive. Mm-hmm. We then meet up with Jordi LaForge in Wharf and Engineering, running routine maintenance on the sensor assemblies. As they do, the closed sensor pass. The you energy mean sensor pass? Sensor pass. <laughs> I saw, um, I don't know if it was a TikTok or a reel or something, but I saw someone clipped out like all the times they say censor <laughs> on the show and it just was so good. Mm. But it's very inconsistent because sometimes it's censor and sometimes it's censor. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it just it's like comes and goes. It's Get it right, people. Come on. If we, if we yep. need to settle on one. Worf is suddenly shocked by one of the engineering panels, and we see what a treasure of an actor Michael Dorn is as Worf lets out the most ridiculous scream you've ever heard and then hurls himself (laughs) over the console, tumbling to the ground as he completes four full rotations on his way down. Amazing. Uh, It was acrobatic. It It was wonderful. Worf is knocked out at first and then becomes violent when he comes to... Jordy calls for help, and Dr. Beverly Crusher comes in to sedate Worf and take him to sickbay. We then get an interesting scene between Tasha, Riker, and the chief Antikin delegate. The Antikins look like what Shredder from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles probably looked like when he was younger. Meaning they look like rats <laughs> with white... <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I got to mute my mic. I can't. I just can't do that. Uh, wait, Shredder, don't you mean uh, Splinter? Oh, Splinter. Fuck. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Shredder was the baddie, but Splinter was the, the sensei. Not to be confused with the sensor. Man, that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reference really threw me for a loop. I was not ready for that. Oh, I'm 
so pissed I messed it up, but it was worth it because that was good. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> Sensei. <laughs> Sensor. <laughs> And really, with the other guys being reptiles, I mean, there is, you know, I, I understand you that know, turtles are... Wait, are turtles reptiles? No. Um, are they? Are, oh, boy. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I, Somebody, I don't know. Somebody's going to hit me up on sauce.sep at gmail.com yeah. to, to correct me on that one. So if you could, Someone thank knows you. the answer to that. We're not going to Google that because no one's listening to this to hear me Google stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, so... Oh, my God. <laughs> Splinter and the Ninja Turtles are on board the Enterprise is where we were up to so far. <laughs> oh, so the again. Oh, I knew this episode was going to be so fun. Oh, yeah. It's a, I mean, we haven't even got to the plot yet. That's great. No, we're not even close to the plot. No, no. <sighs> okay. So the Antikin chief delegate is pissed because they had arranged for their food on the journey, understanding that the animals that had been beamed aboard for them to eat would be provided to them live for them to hunt and butcher themselves. Riker says this must have been a misunderstanding because humans, quote unquote, no longer enslave animals for food purposes. Mm. When the Antikin retorts that he has seen humans eat meat, Riker responds, this was like up there for my favorite quote of the episode. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Riker responds, you've seen something as fresh and tasty as meat, but inorganically materialized out of patterns used by our transporters. Oh, yeah. Basically, Ooh. what he was saying is it's it's a Beyond Burger. Yeah. That was, that was what Riker exactly. was trying to say. Which, for the record, are amazing. Oh, I, I do not dispute that. I was like having a meal the other day where I was like, why do people eat meat? Like, this is so delicious, what I'm eating right now, you know? Mm-hmm. So the, the Antikin walks away in disgust, calling this sickening and barbaric. And girl, honestly, I LOL'd because I feel exactly the same about lab-grown meat, <laughs> which I will talk about later. Okay. Uh, okay. It's going to be a hot take. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. At being called barbaric by this alien, Riker makes a horrible lemon-sucking face, and Tasha looks at Riker incredulously as the scene cuts to the sick bay with Dr. Beverly Crusher and Lieutenant Worf. <sighs> <laughs> Thoughts, comments? <laughs> just a heavy sigh. Oh, I just because I'm like, we have a lot to unpack from that scene. <laughs> like, <laughs> So I have so this is the most notes I've had on any episode, honestly. Yeah, it's like guys, buckle up, but we have got an hour and a half take on <laughs> materialized lab-grown meat. So if you know, really just do. so you know, okay. <laughs> I hope you're. Prepared. There's just so many different weird, random things in this episode. I know. That I, I know. Just had so many thoughts. I know. Well, because it's one of those sort of like Star Trek esque. Weird random episodes where it's like you start yes. with Splinter and the Turtles and you end up with like blue zappy things going from person to person <sighs> to Picard turning into a five hour energy drink, you know, <laughs> and then coming back. So it's it's kind of a wild one. <laughs> and there's lab grown me and, and there's, there's like yeah. delegates hunting each other and like <laughs> what yeah. the fuck? There's yeah. a Deanna trying to be a betazoid and failing at it again. Uh, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Bev gets zapped with the blue lightning that we saw from before as she scans Worf. 
She immediately starts acting weird. Uh, She seems to not know what her role is or what is expected of her in conversation with counselor Deanna Troy, who walks in just as the blue lightning fades from view. Deanna remarks that Worf is reading normal now, so we as the audience can assume that the blue lightning was the cause and that it has passed from Worf to Beverly versus this being a situation where it's spreading and infecting everybody at the same time. Deanna speaks with Worf through their conversation, and we discover that Worf has no memories of anything that happened to him after being shocked, suggesting he was perhaps under some sort of mind control. We cut to Data and Picard on the bridge. Data is encouraging the captain to take this matter seriously. Picard starts getting real horny about how much he loves the mystery, but says this one will have to wait until they deliver the delegates to the peace conference on Parliament. On Parliament. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Beverly returns to her quarters to find Wesley, the sweetest little boy in space, studying Dr. Channing's theory on dilithium crystals, and Bev asks him to tell her about it. Wesley's surprised, saying she's never expressed an interest in warp theory before, but is overjoyed to talk to his mom about a special interest. Mm -hmm. Wesley explains to her that Dr. Channing thinks it's possible to force dilithium into even more useful crystals. Bev expresses an interest in the effect this might have on navigation, and Wesley reminds her that this is engineering stuff. Helm control is on the bridge. (laughs) Bev starts muttering about helm control and the bridge and gets up and leaves while Wesley yells after her to ask if something is wrong. <laughs> poor poor Wesley, the one time his mom is finally interested in what he's studying. <laughs> it's because she's possessed by the zappy blue light. <laughs> uh, I know. It broke my little heart. I was like, oh, I know what that feels like when you're like, whoa, someone's finally interested in what I have to say. And then they're immediately like, eh, nah, eh, see you later. I'm over it. <laughs> Dr. Crusher wanders onto the bridge and tells Picard in an extremely unnatural and awkward way that Lieutenant Worf is just A-OK fine and ready to work. When Picard asks what the diagnosis was, she tells him a temporary mental aberration, which if you ask me, sounds like 24th century for hospitalized for dehydration. (laughs) Hmm. Picard also thinks this sounds like a bullshit diagnosis and demands a better explanation. Beverly says for that, she'll have to cross-check the library computer. What? (laughs) I know. I was like, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) As she does so, Data notices that Bev is accessing helm control, which has nothing to do with medical cross-checks, and calls her out on this. The blue lightning then flies out of Beverly into the computer, and Dr. Crusher seems to come back to herself, turning around confused and scared as to why she's on the bridge. Huge shout out to Gates McFadden for what I felt like was a very amazing performance, looking really and truly vulnerable and like lost in the scene. Her eyes were even glassy. She did such a good job. Yeah. Dr. Crusher wanders back to her office and Data announces that the panel she was using is now inoperable. Picard gets very concerned about what the hell is going on on the ship and the mystery is officially afoot. (laughs) See what I did there? (laughs) Because we have to get into fucking Sherlock stuff. Of course we do. Because that's also in this episode. I was just waiting for Benedict Cumberbatch to come onto the starship at that point. (laughs) (laughs) The game is afoot. (laughs) (laughs) 
We come back from the break to find Picard in a conference room with Riker and a handful of unknowns trying to figure out the cause of the malfunction. We're introduced to Assistant Chief Engineer Singh, who proposes a theory but says he doesn't know, he doesn't understand how it could be true because it should be impossible, and informs Picard that he has spoken with all the engineers, including the chief engineer, and everyone is puzzled. Picard demands an answer by the time the sheep reaches (sighs) Parliament. (laughs) (laughs) We then cut to Riker and Tasha again in conversation with the Antikin chief delegate from before. This time Riker is brandishing a weapon that was confiscated from two other Antikins who apparently were loitering in the vicinity of the Soleil delegation headquarters with said weapons. The Antikin explains that these are not weapons, but tools that they use to kill the animals they consume. When Riker points out that these tools could also kill other beings, the delegate admits that some of his people are impulsive and do have reason to hate the Soleil. Riker states that all weapons will be confiscated and that violence will not be tolerated on board the Enterprise. (laughs) The chief delegate informs them the Antikins would not be the ones to start the violence, but, he mutters after Riker and Tasha have left the room, we will finish it. In a way that is completely irrelevant to the rest of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and also it seems like they did start it, so it's like, anyway. We won't start it, but we might begin it. What? (laughs) (laughs) what are these guys talking about we might not start it but we'll instigate it yeah (laughs) it's like yeah yeah, okay dude uh and i just want to take a moment to note in typical tng fashion that this is the point at which this entire delegation storyline is completely irrelevant to the rest of the episode Uh i think we see them like once or twice more and it literally has no bearing on the story until the very end when they all in scooby-doo fashion laugh (laughs) At the untimely death of one of the delegates, we're like, oh. <sighs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Which I have thoughts about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, so back to the bridge. Suddenly, the ship's warp power is fading. The ship slows and then stops. Subspace radio is gone. Picard mutters about state-of-the-art vessel, but Data corrects him later to say if the fragility of the ship was the cause of these issues, they never would have made it this far in the first place. Mm. In my absolute favorite exchange <laughs> of the whole episode, Data states, therefore, her system failures are not endemic to the ship, but are the result of the actions of an unknown adversary. Riker turns to Picard and says, we have a saboteur aboard. <laughs> and Data mutters, I believe I said that. <laughs> I wrote that down, too. I wrote that down, too. I believe I said that. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, Riker spins around pissed at Data, but Picard interrupts them by saying the question now is who is the saboteur? Mm. I'm thinking, call me crazy, maybe the people walking around acting all weird with giant gaps in their memories who've been zapped by blue lightning from computer panels, but... No. No. They Mm-mm. start speculating it's someone from one of the two onboard alien delegations because xenophobia. <laughs> Riker proposes the possibility that one or both delegations may have been bribed by the Ferengi, and data confirms that Ferengi contacts have been detected on both planets. Mm. And again, I can't stress this enough. Like, this is not relevant to the story at all. No. No, except it is delightful that with zero evidence, they make this this claim about yeah. the, the Ferengi. Which is the only reason I included it, because like I could have left all this out, but 
I felt that the context was important to comments that I have for later. Yes. Picard then asks if they can think of any other suspects and Riker comments that he's sounding like a private eye. And oh God, it's Sherlock bullshit. Michael, I know you were tickled by all this. I hate it, and I hope our friendship can survive it. <laughs> I I don't know. It, it was more the absurdity of it that just delighted me because I was like, I will say, upon my third viewing, it started to I started to warm up to it. I I really wish they would have given Data a bubble pipe. That would have <laughs> like that would have sealed it for me as like this is legitimately so absurd that it's hilarious. Instead of to me, oh. it was just like. Absurd, and also I was just like, "Why? <laughs> Why?" It's like Data's like like a, a five year old child who's like, "Oh, that's that that's what I'm supposed to be emulating," and all of a sudden he's acting like Sherlock Holmes. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> Data inquires about Private Eye with a little tilt of his head, <laughs> and Picard explains the concept, getting a furious twinkle in his eye as he brings up the immortal Sherlock Holmes. And I try not to break my TV. <laughs> when Riker says they'll have to solve this mystery without history's greatest detective, oh the camera dramatically pans in on Data's face as Data gets quite the twinkle in his own robotic eye. <laughs> Wesley Crusher, criminally underused in this episode but sporting my favorite orange sweater, mm-hmm. is helping Mr. Singh to troubleshoot down in engineering. <laughs> Wesley, as usual, finds the root cause... but is then dismissed to go do classwork while the grown-ups handle it. Wesley is crushed. Oh, (laughs) Get it? (laughs) Their name is just too... It's just too easy. It is. It is. Like, the crushers can crush me. (laughs) And Mr. Singh agrees that he would learn more on the job, but that the captain's orders are very clear about Wes's schoolwork, Mm -hmm. so off he goes. Wesley goes back to the Crusher quarters and complains to his mom, during which he discovers she does not remember their conversation about Dr. Channing and dilithium crystals from earlier. Mm. We cut back to Engineer Singh, who is boop-booping things on different panels (laughs) when he gets full-bodied blue lightninged and fucking (laughs) dies for no reason. I know. And I do want to point out that, as you may have guessed from his name, he is an Indian man... And one of the very few Asian characters we ever see on this fucking show. And he's just killed for absolutely no reason. And they didn't even give him a red shirt. No, he's in a yellow shirt. I know, because he's in engineering. And I'm just like, wait, what? I had it written for later, but I'm like, oh, is this progress that you cast characters of color in yellow shirts and kill them? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Instead of it being a red shirt, it's a yellow shirt. And it's like, no, you guys missed the mark. Doesn't kill Worf. Doesn't kill Crusher. Oh, gotta kill this guy. Ugh. In investigating his death, Worf and Jordy discover that the ship should be able to use warp engines again and assume Singh repaired the issue pre-mortem. Wesley, who is pacing around in the background, jumps forward to inform them that the issue was inside the engine, so Singh couldn't have repaired it. Jordy, of course, completely blows off Wes, and Worf informs the bridge that they're back online and good to go. Tasha Yar interrogates the Antikin chief delegate about his potential connection to the ship's problems, but gets disgusted and walks off when his alibi is hunting, killing, and eating a very interesting animal. Ha ha ha. 
In sickbay, we join Dr. Crusher, Worf, and Counselor Troy, who decide to use hypnosis to see if they can recover Bev and Worf's lost memories from when they were under control of the blue lightning. <laughs> Tasha is then in the conference room reporting out to Data and Riker that her interrogations of the delegates turned up nothing but lies from both parties. Data <sighs> swings around in his chair, <laughs> chewing on a calabash pipe, and tells Tasha that she's incorrect that the delegates omitted certain truths, which in and itself tells us something. Like a fucking clown, Tasha says, dumbfounded, we can learn something from non-disclosure. <laughs> yes, girl, didn't they teach you that in space cop school? Jesus. Data apparently has studied every Sherlock Holmes case in the records and continues on his Sherlockian monologue while Riker laughs his ass off at him. Data draws the conclusion that the delegates were too involved in their own affairs to be the one who sabotaged the ship. Okay, so I have to mention one of the things I yes. love the most about the Sherlock thing, because I know I know <laughs> it was not your favorite, but there's that scene where Data's like basically just being Sherlock Holmes, and the the crew are looking at each other, and it's like I'm pretty sure that was written in that they're supposed to be looking at each other but there's a sense in which i feel like they are all laughing at the absurdity of what's <laughs> going on that this is like actually what they're being asked to do and that data's I asked because I, I almost feel like there's a what do you call it, like a breaking the fourth wall kind of thing like i almost look like some of them were looking at us in the camera and be like oh we know how fucking ridiculous this is uh. Well, and it's the thing is Brent Spiner is a very funny He's so funny. Actor. Yeah. You know, he's very charismatic. So it's like, I get why they want to put him in these situations where he gets to act like something other than an android. Yeah. Yeah. But I find that annoying. Uh -huh. But I also like understand it because he is very funny. It was and very I did definitely got that feeling because I had a note too at like the very end. Or a little bit later, anyway, Deanna, the actress who plays Deanna Troy, just kind of looks over the side and is, like, laughing. Yeah, yes. And you just feel that it's this moment where she's, like... I think that's genuine laughter at Brent's <laughs> Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Ugh. So, it, that's what, it did start to grow on me, you know, after I brainwashed myself by watching this episode so many times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back in sickbay, Deanna has hypnotize Beverly and we see Beverly recall the sensation of someone else being there being in her mind Deanna tells a watching wharf that he said the same thing while under in the conference room Deanna reports her findings to Picard and the rest of the senior crew speaking of clowns Deanna said that she sensed a duality in the people on board but said it thought it was the usual duality that she senses in humans so uh -huh. like you're telling me you can't understand the difference or you can't sense the difference between someone just kind of talking to themselves and like an entire other entity taking over someone's brain. Okay. <laughs> Again, I'm not really sure what you're here for because your skills don't seem to be helping anyone. You know, the occasional Betazoid skills. <laughs> yeah. when, when useful, they get written into the episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> Picard makes Data put down his pipe. <laughs> Data speculates that it can't be the crew, the delegates, or any family members on board who did this. Picard agrees, but then asks, who could it be? 
to which Data answers with an Arthur Conan Doyle axiom about whatever improbable answer is left over must be the truth. Then the fish tank behind him gurgles and he pulls a magnifying glass out of nowhere and inspects it. (laughs) Which was not something I noticed on my first two watches. And I have to say that was the moment that I was like, okay, I'm kind of warming up to this. It was so absurd. Like the fish tank is just suddenly gurgling. Where did that come from? Yeah, exactly. He's got this. We've seen your uniforms. You can't fit anything on them. Where was he hiding the magnifying glass? It's a question. Is that, is that a magnifying glass <laughs> in your pocket, Data? Or uh, you're just happy to see me? <laughs> <laughs> On the bridge, helm control suddenly goes down. As Picard is looking over LaForge's shoulder, he leans on the panel and blue lightning shoots up through his hand. Helm control suddenly fixes itself after possessed Picard says it's fine. <laughs> PP orders the crew to turn the ship around and head back to that energy cloud. <laughs> The br- I'm sorry. <laughs> that's possessed Picard, just by the way. If you don't have, yeah. If you if you're not following along in our, uh, you know, special notebooks that you can order on Amazon for ninety nine ninety five, which gives you a code a code word to the cheat sheet for each episode. Yeah, yeah. PP is <laughs> what the hell is Nick talking about? Um, um, that's not a bad idea. Put that in our merchandising. Yeah. If you have other ideas for folder. If you have other ideas, you can email them to sauce.sep at gmail.com. That's sauce.sep <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> Love it. The bridge crew challenges the cursed captain's orders, but backs down when he pushes back. In private quarters, they meet to discuss mutiny. Deanna says she can only sense that the captain has closed part of his mind to her. And that he's become perhaps dangerous. Oh my god, wow, thanks. Insightful <laughs> observations. <laughs> we find out that Bev could relieve the captain of command if she has a medical reason and clear evidence to do so. Riker can remove the captain without the need for medical evidence, but would need all of the command officers to agree that it's vital to do so and says that Picard's behavior hasn't been overtly unusual enough to justify this move yet. Deanna ominously opines that she believes eventually his behavior will become overtly unusual. Bev decides to order the exams. She would need to prove Picard has to be removed from duty and tells Riker that he needs to back her up somehow. I will say that was actually one of my, like as a, as a nerdy Star Trek fan, I really loved that scene. Like a lot. That was a great scene. Yeah. Yeah. Like I liked it too. There was a lot of gravity to it of like the seriousness of what's happening, but the crew really like, debating this like I felt like it was just the opposite of like you know a really hot-headed officer just going off half-cocked and making a a random decision but there was like collaboration and deliberation and listening and like you know thinking things through I just I was like that's something you almost never see on network television you know yeah I agree Beverly and Riker go to Picard's quarters to request he comes to sickbay for examination Riker reveals to Picard that they believe him to be under the control of an alien influence. Possessed Picard cheekily suggests that it is equally likely that Bev, Riker, and Deanna Troy are all overworked and suffering from simultaneous shared hallucinations and orders Bev to give psychiatric and medical exams for them instead. He's like chuckling the whole time he's saying this. (laughs) It's a very weird but like delightful scene. Yeah. 
It's like he knows what he's saying is ridiculous and he's just like delighted by it. But he's just like full on gaslighting him too. (laughs) No, it's you who are crazy. I'm totally normal. Okay, so it's equally likely that one person was possessed by this alien force that we know has possessed two other people or that like three people are overworked and sharing the same hallucination. He says he's too busy for this nonsense and goes back to looking out his window. That was also weird. I'm like, I'm, I'm too busy for this. I need to stare out my window. What? I know. Pensively. Well, to me, that was part of what made the scene so funny because they came in and he was just looking out the window and they're like, we need you to do this stuff. And he's like, mm, I'm too busy. And he just literally sits <laughs> down, kicks window. his feet up on the desk. He's like, I don't think so. <sighs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> It was a power move, and I quite enjoyed it. Bev later brings back the results of their exams to possess Picard. She asks him to please tell her if he's Jean-Luc. He smiles back and says Picard is in there, joined by another entity who is now in control, and soon they'll both be home. Mm. The ship gets back to the energy cloud. Riker, in a voiceover, informs us that there's nothing within regulations they can do about the captain, even though everyone knows he's under alien control. I find that a little sus, but moving on. PP comes to the bridge (laughs) as they arrive and tells everyone that they picked up a life form on their first pass by the cloud, a life form made of pure energy like the cloud. A terrifying experience, as if a giant claw had reached down and scooped it up from its home. Via Picard, the life form says it tried to communicate with the crew, recognizing them as sentient beings, but that they were unable to understand it. Finally, it was able to use the computer intelligence to gain control of the ship. It apologizes for the death of Engineer Singh, which I do not accept. Possessed Picard says the regular Picard is still in there somewhere, that he and the entity realized that they have a mutual love of exploration and the entity offered Picard to turn into pure energy so they could explore the cosmos together. Deanna realizes he plans to beam himself and the entity into the energy cloud. PP PP confirms that by using the transporter, he can set it to beam out the captain's energy only, thus becoming a combined energy pattern with the entity. Kinky. Possessed Picard issues a resignation which Riker refuses to accept, and Beverly tries to relieve the cursed captain of his duty, but PP shoots blue lightning all through all of them, blinding them and holding them in place. He then goes down to the transporter room and beams himself right out into that cloud. Yeah, that was a weird, the, the idea of him just turning into energy. Yeah, I was a little bit like, oh, okay, okay, all right. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is very strange. And it, what the strangest thing was that, like, I I don't feel that they made it clear how much Picard was actually going along yes. with this and how much he wasn't. Yeah, like like how much of that was like him and, him and the, the, the entity, like, having a convo and being, and him being like, yeah, I'm down, like, let's do this. Um yeah, I thought that was bizarre. I, I like conceptually and philosophically, it's this interesting idea. Like, what if you could be turned into pure energy and, you mm-hmm. know, beam through the cosmos? But like, just like practically, procedurally in the show, I was like, what? What? What's going on? He's going to turn into energy now? Like, I was a little bit like, okay. Well, and again, we're very early in the series and we're still establishing characters. Yeah. And it's like, we know, like, I agree with you. It's a very interesting philosophical question. Uh-huh. 
But we know, being fans of the show, we know that this is not something Picard would do. Right, right. So it's very, like, I, I could see him being tempted by it or being interested in the idea of it, but we know that, like, he would never leave his ship like that. Yeah. So it's just a very strange, like, I know they're still establishing characters, so you can't blame them too much, but it's just a strange moment to, it seems like this would be the moment to establish this character. And they, they set up this very confusing dynamic where you're never quite sure actually how much Picard was even willingly doing any of this. Yep. And they never really answer that question. So you're just sort of, it, it's another episode where you're just sort of left with like, okay, well, I still don't really understand this character or what motivates them or what they stand for. Right, because it would have been a really interesting philosophical discussion had they had the philosophical discussion. But as you mm-hmm. said, you don't hear any of Picard's kind of struggle or interaction with the entity. It's just kind of like, okay, it's all been decided. And you yeah. don't, like you said, you don't know how much of Picard is even in that decision. So, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't prefer it. Mm-hmm. Riker is in command now, and we find out via voiceover that the captain has been floating around in space for over an hour. They can't tell what coordinates he used for the transporter, and they're unable to pick up any sign of him on the sensors. <laughs> Riker makes a tough decision to order the ship to head back to Parliament <sighs> to get back on mission. <laughs> yep, heavy sigh. Yeah. Conveniently, right at this moment, Deanna pops up out of her seat and says she can suddenly sense Picard and only Picard out in space alone. Turns out the combination wasn't possible out in the energy cloud, and now Picard is on his own and in trouble. Data speculates that if they could get close enough, the captain might be able to use the ship's circuitry to get back to them. They get real close up on the energy cloud, to which I'm thinking, aren't you now just scooping up more, more life forms yeah, that more you're like terrorizing? Little, yeah, blue parties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> but we don't need to worry about that, I guess, because Troy senses someone is there with them. Worf's panel starts reacting, then Geordi's, while everyone's looking. <laughs> Yeah, right there. <laughs> well, everyone's looking at Jordy's computer. A P, a capital P. <laughs> forms on Jordy's panel, uh-huh. and Riker turns to Deanna and says, "P for Picard." <laughs> Data confirms Picard is in the ship circuitry and orders them to the transporter room. I uh, let's 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 point out the fact that it was like a dot matrix p like it was yeah. like the old school like, <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i can just hear it printing out right now <laughs> data uses the transporter to pull up the captain's physical pattern and hypothesizes that picard would remember that they have it stored here and would already be in the transporter realize so they energize away, and Picard appears after a time. The crew is relieved, the captain's confused, and they all go on to explore another day. <laughs> now, I have to add in here that they ruin this ending by Tasha comes running into the room saying that uh, one of the Soleil delegation is missing. There's a puddle of blood where the, the delegates have been. 
their living area and the Antikins have asked the cook to prepare a reptile who looks a lot like the missing Soleil delegate. And there's a little moment, a little jokey moment, basically, where the captain's like, I'm too tired for this shit. Riker, you deal with it. And then we Uh, actually fade away. So I'm like, great. Great. Yeah. (laughs) Not too busy to get blasted out into space as particle energies, but, you know... Too busy to deal with my actual mission. (laughs) Right. Which has been delayed and escalated by my own actions. Right. right. As the captain. Yeah. All right. So, Mike, tell us, what are the words of wisdom from this episode? Well, I think we have a lot to say about these uh, words of wisdom. Um, But the, the winner of the wise words from this episode, and actually a couple different interesting times that he has things to say, is none other than beloved butt-chin, Will Riker, uh, with his line, we no longer enslave animals for food purposes. Mm -hmm. And this being my single favorite line of the episode, in spite of Data's many wonderful moments. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah. Yes, like somebody wrote that in 1988, you know, somebody wrote that. And uh, that just seems like it seems awfully cool that in spite of the way, in spite of the fact that it's used to like sort of bludgeon and dehumanize this, Mm -hmm. like, you know, other species, which we'll talk about, I'm sure later. But um, that that the idea is that like it would be so out of like completely like out of our mind to enslave other beings. And you you have to believe that the enterprise cannot be, or, or like even the Federation in general, if you've got all these different species from all over the, the galaxy, there is no way that you could be eating animals. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you're basically yeah. just, you're basically just, you know, at that point you'd have to acknowledge other species as on par with humanity, which, you know, Earth has not managed to do yet. But um, yeah, so Riker bringing the real words of wisdom down. Yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty powerful line, I think, to frame it, particularly, you know, enslaving animals for food. Mm -hmm. Because as a former vegan, given I don't identify as a vegan anymore, which is a very complicated and long topic that we don't have time for today, but that I do still care very much about animal liberation. I care very much about our food system and the environment. So I still Uh have a lot of the same values. Uh Um, And I did find it fairly refreshing to have that line so bluntly delivered and written. Uh What I have issue with, and this is, (laughs) one of the biggest reasons I'm not identifying as a vegan anymore is that the context in which it's used, as you pointed out, is yet again a very colonial, anti-Indigenous sort of vibe that we're getting where you literally have these um, two, you know, two people with different customs from their planets who are being judged as barbaric Uh like that's made very clear within the script of the show is that they're being judged as barbaric and immature and you know violent um the episode even ends with one of them eating the other one yeah 
and it tends and it's the race that we talk the most about eating animals with. So I feel like your positioning to me, this just seemed a very clear correlation to things like indigenous hunting grounds, Yep, which vegans are typically quite antagonistic against mm. with their philosophies about eating animals. So if you are interested, um, I do want to plug, I did two podcast episodes with my friend Mexi. Uh, her podcast is called Total Liberation. So we did one about speciesism and we did one about plant sentience uh-huh. where we take a long time and we like really go through a lot of, you know, our working philosophy around veganism now. So I would encourage people to go listen to that because it's such a complicated topic and it's very sensitive to people and I don't have a lot of time, you know, I don't want to uh-huh. take this whole episode to get into that, but I just wanted to point out that like while I did appreciate because to me they're, you know, they replicate all of their food. Uh-huh. So it makes sense that they would replicate animal foods as well. Right. And I love that they were like we don't need to kill animals for food anymore so we don't, you know. Right. I really appreciated that. I did not appreciate that that was as it's, yeah, as so often it is used to make another race seem more barbaric. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, just to second to plug total liberation. Um, if you, I've not listened to that hit pause right now, search it up, uh, subscribe, um it's a great podcast in general a phenomenal podcast and and you will you will love it um but uh yeah that's a great point the the only thing i will say that i loved about that quote in particular was the use of the word enslave Mm -hmm. because i do think there's a difference between he didn't say we don't kill animals he said we don't enslave and for me like that really sounded like a direct dig at factory farming um, yeah. and as somebody who's, um, mostly plant-based, um, I, I don't really like the labels too much, which I know is kind of a trendy thing to say. So, you know, um, uh, you can send your hate mail at Sutton. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, but, um, it, it's, you know, I think that's the, that's the thing that I liked that it felt like a direct dig at that, at, you know, at like large scale animal agriculture, um, which is, which is weird because again, even contextually, that does not make sense because the the species that had beamed aboard their food had beamed it aboard to hunt it and and kill it. Which I'm not saying that that's that that's great or anything, but I'm just saying that like that's you know we there's a difference between farming and indigenous mm-hmm. hunting rights, and and I think that those are you know again I personally I would I see those things as. Um, as much different. And so I did appreciate the use of the word enslave to refer to, um, you know, the, the fact that in the Federation, they don't, you know, they, they don't have factory farms. Basically it was how I, how I took to understand that. And that's why it's disappointing because if they had been having a philosophical conversation mm-hmm. rather than it being an ant- antagonistic yep. confrontation, then that could have been a really interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, Riker could have said that, like, we don't enslave animals for our food. And the other guy could have been like, well, we don't enslave animals. Exactly. Either. Exactly. You know? Mm-hmm. 
and they could have like come you know come to some kind of understanding or at least just had the time to like air out their Mm -hmm. personal ideologies Mm -hmm. but given i think also what really upset me was that the weapons or the tools that they brought on board it, it just was so clear that it's like, look, they kill animals. They're barbaric. Right. They even end up killing and eating another person. Right. And that's where a lot of, this is what like really got me. Cause I used to have a vegan podcast for anyone who doesn't know me from previous works. Uh-huh. That's how I got started being a content creator was I actually had a vegan podcast for many years. And I just got so fucking sick of things like this being drawn, like this equivalency of, you know, killing and eating an animal is exactly the same as killing and eating a human. And it's like, that that's not how nature works. Uh-huh. And I know people are going to have their personal philosophies, but to me, you're creating a dichotomy that is really hard for a lot of humans to fit into Yeah, with your own very black and white thinking. Yeah. And it felt like this episode was doing that. Like, look, it wasn't just like, oh, we don't, we don't eat animals anymore because uh-huh. <coughs> we have technology that allows us not to uh-huh. but like oh look here's a different culture where like they do their own thing but it's also anti-factory farm uh-huh. that could have been a thing uh-huh. but instead it was like we don't eat animals because we're so evolved and look at these barbarians like they even eat each other uh-huh. and it just was a very gross it's just you do get so much of that in the animal rights movement, and I just mm. I can't stand it. Yeah, and it's a disappointment because I will say it's something that I've seen at other times the show do really well with. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you know, one of my all-time favorite episodes, which I, I cannot remember season or episode, so you'll be like, then how is it your all-time favorite? Um, but the, <laughs> the assisted suicide um, episode, mm. um, which, you know, I, I feel like in that they present something as complicated and multifaceted and having, you know, more than one, um, like right answer, if you will. And, and I feel like this, exactly as you said, this could have been the moment to do that. And it's, you know, instead it, it kind of, like as you said, it dichotomizes it and it does it in a really kind of colonial way. Um, mm-hmm. whereas it really could have presented it with complexity um, and, and it didn't, it, it, presented it in the way that we're supposed to all kind of be kind of glancing at, at each other and giggling at the, you know, the barbaric splinter and the Ninja Turtles, you know, <laughs> as opposed to like, you know, actually, oh, Hey, this is a rich and complex discussion. Let's engage in that together as equals. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because exactly like, and it just struck me as one of, one of the episodes in the show where, they kind of forget what they're doing with the show yep. because it's like this is a this is a like um an ambassador type ship like this is a ship that's sent out to explore yeah and you have the the crew i mean in front of these delegates are just like rolling their eyes mm-hmm. scoffing mm-hmm. being disgusted yeah. clearly judging them yeah not engaging with them in good faith at all like yeah. not like oh let's have a discussion or whatever and it's just like, but you, <laughs> like, you shouldn't be shocked by this. This right. should not be a big deal for you to just respect this other person's culture and, like, 
move on. Yeah. Like, but, you know, as we see so many times, like they just don't actually do that, even though they will pay lip service to the fact that they're like, oh, yeah, you know, prime prime directive and blah, blah, blah. Like we have to respect other people's culture. And it's like, but you don't, though. Yep. This diplomatic mission. It's like, is this your first diplomatic mission? <laughs> right. It's, you know, it's interesting to me um in this episode one of the one of the first notes that i made and of course this is going to release way after um you know what's happening right now in the news but mm. um just a window into our recording schedule for all of you creeps out there um <laughs> <laughs> um yes i love uh, shit talking my audience <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to all three of you. I sincerely I apologize. <laughs> you three creeps. <laughs> um, but um, you know, with like the the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, for example, you know, I, I saw in this episode just it being really interesting some kind of corollaries to the whole sort of United Nations European Union kind of, or in this case, NATO. Um, you know, uh, corollaries to this idea of people applying to become a part of the Federation. And mm. it's kind of an ongoing issue, um, you know, where I live, um, of countries wanting to apply to be European Union member states and, uh, you know, some of the political and economic implications of that. And it's, and the way that the episode treats, um, I, by the way, good for you actually getting their names down because I could not get the names of the species. And so I'm now just calling them Splinter and the Ninja Turtles for the rest of this episode. So I actually love that. Okay. Um, but like the way that the episode treats Splinter and the Ninja Turtles is very much the way that that sometimes even the you see in like news media the portrayals of a country applying for EU membership. Um, mm. you know, it's kind of this idea of like, well, are they really European enough to be in the European yeah. Union? And it's like, well, what, what is that argument if not kind of a, a racial or a xenophobic, um, you know, kind of, kind of idea. And I, I notice with the enterprise, you know, being the one who's picking them up to take them to parliament. Oh my God. Um, and the, <laughs> the diplomatic mission um, I do wonder about the positioning of the Enterprise as sort of this neutral force um, mm -hmm. or like the neutral bringer of order and how this draws on this presumptive neutrality of the West um, in what I would say predominantly white spaces, um, you know, in white dominated spaces and in diplomatic circles even, um, you know, this idea of this presumptive neutrality and it does sort of drive at some of the underlying patriarchy in the show as well of, you know, the way that the Enterprise is neutral and the men of the Enterprise are the neutral ones on the Enterprise and and so on mm. and so forth. So there is kind of that undertone where I was like, mm, I, I can see that emerging a bit in this episode. And that is something that bothers me is that the, we always come back to the crew of the Enterprise as like the, you know, the soft, squishy middle ground. Um, that we can all, you know, align behind. Yeah. 100% beautifully said. And that's that's why I kept sighing at Parliament, because uh -huh. it, he even said, oh, we're bringing them to the neutral zone in their area, in their area uh -huh. 
called Parliament. Right, right. And I'm like, how in this zone that is completely alien is there a neutral, an actually neutral place mm-hmm. called Parliament? Right. Which is a human construct. Right. And I'm sorry, Parliament's not neutral. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, Parliament's not even neutral, like, in, in like, political science terms. Like, you know, parliamentary systems are different from other, you know, from other types of political systems. And, in fact, not even, like, horribly democratic, you know, if you want to, if you want to, like, talk about it. You know, it's, it's definitely, I guess, um, liberal in the 19th century sense of the word, but not, like, you know, not particularly um, egalitarian. So it just seems odd that it's like, yeah, there's definitely a established hierarchy here and Splinter and the Ninja Turtles are not high on that hierarchy. No, they're definitely not. Yeah, I just, I, I was just so disappointed because it was so close to doing something interesting. And then, and it and it very much Picard's little speech about, you know, oh, they're they're arguing over God concepts mm. and like strangely, even systems of economy. And it's like, why would that be strange to you? Yeah. Like as someone who understands all the Earth's history and references it ad nauseum, might I add? Ad nauseum. <laughs> it's like of course people are gonna fight over systems of economy. Yeah. Like that's a huge fucking deal. Yeah. Like, if you grow up under, you know, capitalism versus something else, like, that's going to make a huge impact on your day-to-day life. Of course, people are going to fight over Mm -hmm. that. It just seems so weird. It was like they were trying to paint them as this just, like, very barbaric, very un, like, ununderstandable species yep. you know or conflict and even the the con the interplanetary conflict was repeatedly phrased as like oh they don't even remember why they're fighting yeah you know this this con they've been hating each other since like anyone can remember and nobody remembers why yeah so it's like okay but the chief the antican chief delegate said like we have good reason to hate them right and no one was like what is that reason yeah you know, let's talk about it. Like, yeah. let's, if we're going to bring all this into the episode, which all of it was unnecessary, <laughs> then let's like actually talk about it and like have it mean something to the story. But to me, it just was another way to infantilize both cultures by being like, it's kind of like the um, family feud or something, right? Like the Hatfields and the McCoys. Poor white, yeah, like exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, these are just ignorant people who are fighting over, you know, who knows what. No one can remember. It was probably something silly, and we don't need to take any of this seriously. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wrote that actually, that same note. I, I, I said it was kind of like the John Wayne Cowboys and the Indians type of thing, mm. you know. Um, but even even hearing you talk about that, I'm thinking, imagine if, you know, imagine if there was some kind of a, you know, peace talk between Israeli and Palestinian political leaders. And, you know, you had people talking dismissively, like, oh, they've been fighting for so long, nobody really even knows why. You know, right. like, like you would never say that because that's, like, ridiculously dismissive and ignorant. But somehow on the enterprise, that that's okay and that, that flies on a diplomatic mission. Exactly. And, like, completely obscures the fact that there's an imperial imperialist force 
that is doing things to right indigenous people right you know it's like yet again this is this is exactly how you know it's this this way of just washing your hands of a situation and just being like oh who can figure it out it's too complicated or yeah. it's too old or nobody remembers and it's like of course they fucking remember yeah yeah. Of course they're going to remember. Yeah. <laughs> like something clearly happened here. And the way that it's brushed aside while they're on their way to a peace delegation, it just, or a peace conference, it just feels really gross. The whole thing just felt very gross. Question for you. And that I'm now wondering, do you, do you think it's possible that this was two separate episodes at one point? Because it feels like it was supposed to be. Because I feel like the whole um splinter and the and the turtles thing like i feel like that's an episode you know what i mean mm-hmm. like just yeah. the, the dynamics of a diplomatic mission and the things that come up on that like i feel like that's another episode um picard getting turned into energy is not another episode <laughs> and so maybe that's why they just made the somebody made the executive decision to put the two together but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what happened, but it does very much feel like two distinct episodes, uh-huh. neither of which got fully fleshed out. Right. And and it feels like, I mean, it would be, it would make sense, you know, it would be in character for TNG to do a Palestine-Israel analog episode right you know it would be in character for them to do something like that or you know kind of more generic but like we know what we're kind of insinuating and so yeah it feels because it feels very much like we should have gone to the peace conference with them and seen how that was worked out and what came from that Mm -hmm. but no we just end with a a gruesome i guess it's not technically cannibalism but you know it's pretty close to a cannibalism joke, and that was it. Yeah. And Picard being like, oh, I can't deal with these savage children anymore. I'm going to go take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> Someone else deal with it. Yeah. that I, just, I, I was so bothered by that conclusion to the episode. I was like, we're supposed to laugh at that? Like, is this supposed to be funny? Like, this is, this is kind of grotesque. Because not only does it, you know, make the Antikin seem barbaric and brutal... It also is extremely dehumanizing to the Soleil. Yeah, yeah. It just was, yeah, it was weird vibes. <laughs> like, I don't know what y'all were trying to do here, but... Even the way they, like, capture Riker at the end with the the little dog catcher or, like, animal catcher thing. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, really? Like, the best you could come up with was slap a couple glow sticks on the end of a... <laughs> On the end of like the thing you use when that animal Riker control just, like, comes out, away. he's just like annoyed. Yeah, yeah, and also Riker <laughs> just like like comes off completely uninjured, and they're like, "Oh, sorry," you know. It's like mm-hmm. that was just such a weird s- sequence. It was a very weird sequence. It does feel like two episodes <laughs> spliced together. That yeah, yeah. Um, I was also noting. Because I, I, you know, as I had quipped earlier about the energy field, like, let's just, you know, fly close to this strange object. Um, I, I thought it was interesting that you've got Picard saying that he, you know, loves a mystery. But mm-hmm. then I'm thinking about just like the utter disregard for like the suggest, like, I think it's data that like suggests like, oh, you know, might there be some unintended consequences right. of of this? And I'm like, 
you know, you've, you pointed out the obvious, like in spite of the fact that they're on a mission, they've got a thing to do and a place to be. And a, I'm assuming a time frame in which they're supposed to do this. So there's just the obvious, that obvious thing. But then there's just like the reckless endangerment aspect of it where it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, yes. never mind in episode two, we all got super horny and almost, you know, <laughs> killed ourselves. Right. <laughs> like, you know, let's just, let's just ride right into this thing. Exactly. Like you guys know, and I'm always confused about what the fuck the Enterprise is actually supposed to be doing. Yeah. Because they're like a diplomatic ship, but they're also sort of science-y, but they're not a science vessel. They're not a science vessel. And they're there to explore, but there's so many times where they're like, oh, we shouldn't go do this thing. Like we should have someone send a science vessel right. out here to actually like research. So it's just like gets it's always very confusing to me what they're actually supposed to be doing. Yeah. Because in this episode, Picard's like, oh, let's go scan the thing. But in other episodes, Picard's like, oh, that's not our job. Like exactly. we have other things that we need to be doing. And I'm like, well, on this one, you actually had something else you needed to be doing. Yeah. So anyway, I just think it's just like a cake and eat it too moment for them uh-huh. where they're always just like the enterprise sort of is just whatever they need it to be in the the episode. Uh-huh. But I agree with you. I was like, yeah, regardless of the fact that you have things you need to go do, you also don't know what's going to happen. This is a life form you've never seen before. So like even the most remote precautions would have been in order. Yeah. And yeah, you guys were just drunk fucking each other. Yeah. Like, did we not learn <laughs> anything? Yeah, you'd be like, Data, put a pin on the GPS. Like, we'll come back after we, you know, yeah. drop these guys off. But Or send a science vessel out and be like, hey, we vessel. saw this cool thing. You probably want to go check it out. Watch out for the blue zappies, you know? <laughs> Those blue zappies will get <laughs> Those you. Those blue zappies. Every time. Every time. <laughs> I did want to say some like, complicated feelings about lab-grown meat. Ah, yes. Oh, yeah. On one hand, of course, I see the many benefits. Uh-huh. You know, I get it. Uh, on the other hand, gross. Uh-huh. And um, becoming, this is something I expand on in the plant sentience episode of Total Liberation, but I'm becoming less and less enamored of solutions to natural issues being solved by technology. Uh-huh. And being further removed from like solutions that relate to living in reciprocity with the land uh-huh. and learning how to live sustainably in the environment that you're in. Uh-huh. And I know some people call that naive or impractical because there's so many of us on the planet and we probably need technology solutions. And I don't necessarily argue against that, but it does also concern me that it seems to be our go-to now is that technology is always going to save us. Uh-huh. Which, Mike, is something you've brought up, I think, multiple times in these analyses of, you know, one of the concerns we have with the show as well. So in this case, to me, it's overall fine because all of their food is replicated. If they were only replicating animal products, it would be kind of, I, I would have more critiques about that. But like, you know, in real life, I find this a kind of difficult and very complicated topic. Mm. And I just always have. Mm. And it's always been a hard thing because when I would try to talk about that, you know, vegans get very upset. They love their lab grown meat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, I get it. And like we were talking about earlier, you know, Beyond Burgers 
aren't like technically like they're not animal products. Uh They're not lab grown meat of like animal cells, but they're pretty fucking processed (laughs) food, right? Yeah. I mean, they're highly processed. They're basically engineered food science food. Yeah. And they're great. And I love them. You know, I eat them all the time. They're wonderful. I also love those fucking Beyond Sausages. Don't even get me started on oh, those things. Oh, sign me up. Sign me up. Yeah, they are so good. good. The, the bratwursts? Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. I can't. Yeah. I can't. I know. But, but I do, so I know it's a bit hypocritical, and I, I definitely fully admit that, but I do wonder about food, you know, that doesn't, I, I just think we're already so divorced from our food and where it comes from yeah. and the process of it growing. And anyway, um, so yeah, it just, I have concerns. I always have, and it's become, I've been able to articulate it a bit better more recently. And I think for me, a big part of the problem too with lab grown meat is that it says that eating animals is wrong, period which is not a belief that I hold anymore. And I never really did. You know, I was never fully on that, like, oh, if you eat animals under any circumstances, you're a murderer. It's for me really more about our entire food system and how many people and animals are exploited under that system. And it's devastating the planet. You know, it's cruel and it's also devastating and it needs to be stopped. But that's that's where you get this antagonism towards indigenous people and anyone who actually does live off the land. Yeah. It's just wild to me to think that like maybe someone who lives on a coastal area and fishes every once in a while to feed their family, like it would be better for them to get lab grown meat shipped into them. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, oh, I, I hear And it you. just, to me, yeah. in every way, it just seems weird. So anyway, I just wanted to say those are my thoughts on lab-grown meat. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, in this episode, like I said, because they replicate all their food, I think it's fine. It does bother me. I did love Riker's line about enslaving animals. I thought that was very powerful. I wish, like, they had also acknowledged the other harms that come in the food system, even right. from fruits and vegetables, and said, like, we realized we didn't have to exploit anybody to get our food anymore. Right. So we did that. And I think that would have been cool. And then I wish that the Antikins had had the platform to speak to their own culture and traditions in a way that made them seem good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like a, a good alternative to, well, we're not flying around on a ship where we can just say, computer, you know, make me this food. Yeah. But this is what we do in our culture, and it works really well for us. Yeah. 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 But instead, they just ate a person. (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) I know. That was, it does seem like kind of a missed opportunity. And I, because I do love those episodes where they kind of just unpack the Mm -hmm. universe a little bit. I mean, you know, figuratively and literally, (laughs) but the, the (laughs) (laughs) but the Star Trek universe of, you know, like really digging into that stuff. And, and, and they do, you know, they fuck around a lot with like the holodeck and, you know, like the, like, like the potential consequences of all this technology and all these things they can do. So it's like, why not talk about the food system a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's the, yeah, that could be a thing. Yeah. Well, and it's part of the what I find sad. I mean, I'm someone who likes the background information. Uh-huh. 
So maybe for other people it'd be boring, but yeah, it's like, I want to know, like, how did you end up developing replicators and how did that change? Like, what was the environment in which they were developed and did everyone get one or they only on these ships? What are the limitations of this technology? Like, yeah, because they clearly live in, you know, they're post a post money society, mm-hmm. but it's like, at which point did that happen? Mm-hmm. And what were the things that got them there? Anyway, I just think that's all very interesting. Mm-hmm. And even just something as small as having a replicator, like brings up a lot of really interesting questions yeah. that I feel that they don't really explore. Mm-hmm. And they more often use it as a way to be like, look how evolved we are. Right. Yep. And it's like, okay, we fucking get yeah. it. But like, could we have some background on how you got there uh-huh. and what it meant? Because if if someone developed a food replicator now, it would not be used in like a communistic oh, way. Oh, are you kidding right? me? It would be used in a very capitalistic way. So it's like, you know, even um the, what are they, the printers? The 3D printers? The yeah, the 3D printers. You know what I mean? It's like those those are interesting because they're too expensive for a lot of people to afford, but they're also affordable enough that they are giving a lot of people access to things that they wouldn't have been able to build before. And it's like, that's interesting, you know? CRISPR, that whole technology, like, that's interesting. So, yeah, I just wish we, instead of using it as this way to just kind of, like, brag and gloat about what they have now and how evolved they are. It would be more interesting if they were able to apply that like earth history to current situations and relay some of that information to us and use it as a way to connect with these other cultures rather than judge them. So, so in a close second for words of wisdom was, um, was violence will not be tolerated on the enterprise. Um, and like that would be a tongue-in-cheek, of course, selection, mm-hmm. because this whole idea of, you know, the, the colonialism and neocolonialism b- behind that, it's like violence will not be tolerated unless we're the ones carrying it out. You know, I, I was just like, you know, we've tread, I know we've tread this territory, we have walked down this road before, but like there is violence involved in what the enterprise does. There's violence involved in how it carries out its functions in some places. It's colonial rhetoric that reeks of superiority um this -hmm. whole idea even of we used violence to conquer and subdue this area so now you must be peaceful in order to facilitate our rule and or order you know i'm not saying there's an easy solution to that but it's worth critiquing this sentiment that you know like oh you barbaric people who rely on violence we're done relying on violence now because we already did it to our advantage you know i i just I don't know. It's hard for me to. It's hard for me to get past that, and and maybe it's something I just have to put on hold when I'm watching Star Trek, like because I don't know how the Federation came into existence. You know, I don't know that we really ever get a whole ton of backstory on that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, that was my my other kind of frustration with with that <laughs> with that take. Yeah, I completely agree, and. I think particularly the framing of them as trying to get into the Federation, you know, just really cranked that up to 10 and just made it so obvious. Uh This because you literally had all of the officers that 
interacted with these people on the ship were just literally out loud commenting about how violent they are and how they're not ready to be part of the Federation. But then in other episodes, we see the Enterprise firing on, you know, (laughs) people who have lesser technology than them, getting themselves into these situations where they do use uh, sometimes lethal force. Yep. And that's seen as a a good thing to do. It's seen as a necessary thing to do because they're on a mission. Mm -hmm. So again, it's also this use of technology to be like, oh, because we can fly around and do these things, then like we are, we have the knowledge and the maturity to choose when violence is necessary. And then, you know, we get representations like these two warring species where we don't even get to hear from them why they're warring with each other there's there's no explanation besides the fact that they're just very immature and naturally violent right yeah exactly which as you pointed out is just colonial rhetoric so problematic by the book it's just (laughs) boilerplate that's what you start off with is you frame the person you want to conquer as violent and childish and backwards and you go from there yep yep should we talk about the things that made us lull in this episode (laughs) yes well i will say the last i guess it's like a semi-serious semi-silly thing Mm. was like this is our first real step into everyone's like ptsd hellscape with people getting mind controlled cloned infected Everything you can imagine, we're going to see this happen again and again and again. Yeah. And it just made me like, like you pointed out, especially with Wesley, it just made me so sad that this is the first time he's exposed to his mother not really being his mother. Yeah. And like how often this is going to happen in the future. Yeah. And I just constantly think if I was on the Enterprise, I'd be fucked because I already don't dress people. (laughs) (laughs) This would just make it... So much worse. Every time someone's like acting even remotely off, I'm going to be like, are you an alien? <laughs> are you a clone? What's going on? And I did just want to also say Rip Engineer Singh. I know. Our red shirt for this episode, even though he was in a yellow shirt. Honorary red shirt. And I just wanted to say, since I watched episodes so many times, um, I really liked this actor. And I actually could have seen him fitting into the cast quite well uh-huh. and it just makes me really sad that like he wasn't given that chance uh-huh. in general uh-huh. and also that he had to be killed off you know it yep. just seemed so ridiculous but I felt like he had like a good I don't know I just felt like he engaged with other actors in this really kind of natural way uh-huh. and it just occurred to me that if he had been allowed to stay on the show he he probably would have fit in really well with the cast yeah. and been a great addition I have to also just give a shout out to um, to to sing uh, when he falls victim to the fate of all IT guys ever. When Picard <laughs> was like, I want this fixed and explained by this time, even though you have no idea what's going on or how to fix it. Make computers go boop, boop now. <laughs> you know? It's so true. I was like, I was like, God damn it, Picard. Like we've all just been standing around. You have all your minds gathered together trying to figure out what the problem is. No one knows. And you're like, I want it solved now. It's like, what? Yeah, like even this guy's superior doesn't know. So what is he supposed to do about it? Fix it. Make the computers work. Yeah. 
Picard is bringing massive boomer energy to like all of the technology conversations. He was. Yeah, yeah, he was. It's like, I don't know, just restart it or something. Kick it. (laughs) And this is after he had been told that there was an issue that they should look into. And he was like, no, we'll do it later. Yeah, I know. It's like, come on, Picard. (sighs) Freaking Picard. Um, So yeah, I have now a silly... Noted things that I noticed. Uh-huh. So to me, I obviously I had like, you know, the colonizer vibes were strong, uh-huh. but it also gave me very like, now, now children, give me that stick. Don't poke your eye out kind of energy as well. <laughs> yeah. It always felt like Rocker, Riker and Tasha were like babysitting the delegates yeah. and they were just so frazzled. <laughs> it was like, I obviously don't love that for what it means, but it was kind of funny as well of just this very paternalistic vibe throughout the whole episode where everyone's just exhausted and over it yeah yeah it's like they just want to drop these people off and be i know they're like get these guys off my ship and yeah yeah with better writing it could have been quite that vibe could have been been quite enjoyable and funny yeah yeah i did love how like in contrast to that data was like so sweet and innocent in the episode like his obsession with with sherlock holmes but even like the part where Crusher is like possessed by the by the blue vibes and she's, you know, working on the computer and Data's like, interesting. What does helm control have to do with cross cross checking medical records? Like, mm-hmm. like he legit is just asking because he, you know, he that, like that's not a snarky comment because, you know, he's yeah. not he, he's he doesn't do like, snarky comments like that. I wanna know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really I really love that. <laughs> Uh, and even with that scene, like when Bev comes to and is clearly just very confused, uh-huh. he asks her if she's okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm just like, I just love Data so much. Uh-huh. And, and of course, his line where he's like, I believe I said that. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is where I feel like Data is low-key snarky. I know. He is just a little which bit. Which is, I love. <laughs> Uh, but in, I love a sweet boy who can also be snarky. It's my favorite thing. In an Android way, though. It's like, you know. Yeah. I think that's too why I have, like, I always have a conflicted feeling when they, and I kind of touched on this earlier, but when they give Data excuses to act more human. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I get why, again, Brent Spiner, wonderful actor, yep. hams it up in whatever they give him, yep. totally commits. But it's also like, but he's an android though. Yeah. Like I want to see him be an he's android. He's still an android. And they just can't seem to like understand that and keep him in that character. Because uh-huh. he's already been drunk. Yeah. Now yeah. he's been Sherlock. Yeah. We're only six episodes in. You know, yeah. it's like they can't bear to have him be an android for more than an episode. Yeah. So anyway, I always have I always have conflicted feelings about it because I mean it's un, undeniable that like there were some extremely funny and perfectly executed moments in this episode yep. with him, but it's also what gets us shit like his stand up comedy career, which I still am I'm just dreading every single day that we're eventually gonna have to watch and talk about those episodes. Mm. So it's like you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like. Yes, sometimes we get some wonderful moments out of this, but like more often than not, we get weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> that I don't like. Yeah. Yep. And it just shows that they just don't know how to 
I don't know. I just say it always bothers me when an actor gets into a role and then they're not comfortable just letting that actor be in the role. They have to like keep showing the range by doing all this stuff. Like we even get Data having the fucking identical brother and his own dad. Oh. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, we created those characters for him. So it's like, just calm the fuck right. down. Like, let him be an android. You've already come up with excuses for him to be more human yeah. and act that way. Anyway, I just love Data. Maybe it's just my bias, but I just really love Data. And I just hate how often they don't want him to be Data because they want the yeah. actor to show off his skills and do something else. And I think it's also supposed to be like, oh, he's an android. Like, isn't it funny that he's doing this thing? And it's like, Sure, I guess, but like, I just really like him being an android. I find right. that really interesting. Right, I like Data being Data. <laughs> right. Not being Brent. And it's also like how I don't love Picard constantly being, you know, what's his private eye name? Dick. <laughs> <sighs> I can't remember. There's so many episodes where he's being the private eye. I. Uh, a lot, a lot of jokes just like, ran okay. through my head right, right now. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, a few of them might get us banned from you know uh, Apple Podcasts. So maybe. Uh... Well, I don't know. Podcasts are still kind of the wild west out here. <laughs> YouTube, on the other hand, right, you'll get banned right away. Uh, yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's just my little peeve. I'm not like overly whatever about it, but it just does. I, I think for me, it is just that I do truly love the character so much when he's just being the character. Yeah. And I understand why it's funny to people or interesting to people to constantly put him in other scenarios, but yeah. it gets old to me. It's like, just let him be the character. Yeah. 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 But you know who else we should really be talking about is <laughs> is Wesley in this episode. <laughs> Do tell. Well, I had a moment of clarity. There was not enough Wesley, first of all. Well, so I had this moment. There was more of him than I remembered, though. When I went to do the recap, it was a bit. I was like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. He was sprinkled in. But, okay, so at one point, I'm just, like, writing notes to myself. I'm like, why is Wesley just randomly in engineering? You know, like, it just, there's, like, <laughs> right. you just cut to a scene, randomly Wesley's standing there in engineering, and then Singh is like, okay, dude, you gotta go, like, go do your schoolwork or whatever, which is like... Dude, why is he even there in the first place? And then it occurred to me, and I had a moment of clarity. Oh. Yeah. Do share. That someone of these creators slash writers, if not all of them, were in the AV club when they were in high school. Because, now hear me out. Now hear me out here. Because Wesley speaks for every high school nerd ever watching Star Trek at this time in their life. When he says to his mom, I don't learn nearly this much in school. Well, sorry, he says that to, sorry, he says that to sing. I don't learn nearly this much in school. And then he says, mom, I've learned a lot more than they understand. And it's a little discouraging that by this point in the future, they have not yet figured out how to make education in any way relevant to a teenager right? that he's still like, oh, okay, this is, you know, even on this advanced starship. <laughs> But it gives voice to the fact that, A, nobody listens to young people, and nobody listens to young people who actually are trying to take some agency in their learning. Um, and B, all of us in the AV club learned way more in the AV club, and when we had downtime, guess where we were hanging out? 
in Mr. Poindexter's office where all the AV equipment was stored. That's where we were hanging out, just like Wesley (laughs) hanging out in engineering. So, you know, he's just straight broing down with the nerdiest people on the ship so that he can, like, you know, maybe get to, you know, wire up the film strip for you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the biology class down the, down the hallway. And I was like, that's, that's it. Wesley is, he is the AV club. And I think that's a, an amazing observation. <laughs> I 100% agree. <laughs> and like education, schooling is something I'm very passionate about in terms of it being a function of the state to, create good workers, right, of all of us. Right. And, you know, a desire to bring back a, a culture and a society where kids can do that. They can run around. They can get their hands in a bunch of different stuff. Uh-huh. They can see what they're interested in. Uh-huh. And they can learn things that actually matter to them and matter towards those skills that they want to have. Yep. And I agree with you. It's devastating to think <laughs> that we're hundreds of years <laughs> in the future and school still works that way. You still have to sit at a desk and learn shit that like you're never going to use again. You don't care about. Yeah. And I think it just speaks to the hierarchy that still exists in this future. The very strict hierarchy, at least that exists within Starfleet and on the Enterprise, that they are still looking for those students who can sit for long periods of time, take orders, respect authority, right? And, and learn stuff that they probably don't need to know or don't care about, but can they do it? Yeah. Right. Can they get through those tests, which is what school is today. Yep. You're just filtering for people who can sit for a long period of time and take direction and follow orders and do stuff on a deadline. Yep. (sighs) It's very depressing to me. It is very depressing. And I say this as someone who like loved school and like, obviously you can get more out of school than that. But if you look at how, our education system is structured. It's certainly more structured for that yeah. than it is to teach kids to be critical thinkers uh-huh. or, you know, to, to discover themselves or to uncover their natural abilities. Like school doesn't do any of that really. Yeah. If you're lucky, yeah. you discover that along the way, but it's not, it's not engineered towards that. Yeah. And, and I'm saying that I'm saying this as a career educator that yeah like, <laughs> like, like you've got the inside yeah like, like that's that's such a good take because it does you know so much of even what we're doing at the elite most elite levels of education is like you said we're filtering for mm-hmm. you know certain certain criteria and as you move up the the food chain if you will of education into the most elite universities then it's just filtering for people with certain connections and a certain way of being in the world you know so it's kind of like it yeah it's 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 telling that Wesley is here saying like hey I don't you know I learned so much more just hanging out with you guys who know so much than I do um, from these classes and there's just kind of a, an apprenticeship model there that you're like wow that's you know mm-hmm. that's really cool and also because he expands that it's not like he's just like hanging out because he wants to you know see the the engines go boom. You know, it's like he's like he's like learning stuff and applying stuff and trying things and yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Had to had to talk yeah. about my boy Wesley there for a minute because he, he speaks always, for all we of us always nerds. Have to. Yeah. He's such a sweet little baby. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's pretty telling that the first, you know, when he gets 
uh, made, what is the acting ensign? Um, I think it's uh, honorary ensign, or is it acting honorary? ensign? I don't know. It's something. Uh, yeah. Some kind of <laughs> some kind of subpart ensign. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's it's very telling that the first thing that Picard says to him is like, "You need to enroll." In Starfleet Academy, you need to get started on your studies right away, yeah. and you need to like prioritize your studies yeah. because that is how this structure works. Yep. You know, they Wesley is gifted, naturally talented. He already knows more than most probably people working full. You know, actually holding these positions, but he's got to go through the rigmarole because that's the only way that they know how to bring someone into the fold. And they don't really want someone like him running around being brilliant and not being conditioned to follow orders. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I mean, look at that. I think that's a big reason why he's told to shut up all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Even though he's proven again and again that he's usually the person who knows what's up. Yeah, know your place. It's because, yeah, Mm -hmm, exactly. mm -hmm. Like you are, you should not even be feeling comfortable to speak in this situation. Yep. Much less like have the answer that we're looking for. Yep. Ugh, our poor baby. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> the last thing I had is for notes is that Deanna's outfit is atrocious. <laughs> I found it so offensive. I was like, this is one of the most beautiful women ever to exist. What did you do to her? Uh-huh. It was the, the material they made her outfit out of it looks so scratchy. Uh-huh. It was so boxy. It was just very bizarre outfit, and I was mad on her behalf. Yeah, they put her in some weird clothes. Mm-hmm. They did do a nice little nod towards hypnosis with her, though. I, I feel like some every now and then they throw in some kind of like um, borderline, like pseudoscience type thing that kind of <laughs> you know, which I which I kind of like. It just to yeah, just to, just to yeah, show that Deanna would this... definitely like live in LA and have crystals and like a Reiki. Oh, for sure. I have my two favorite quotes. Mm. Oh yeah. Let's hear them. So the first one is from data. Of course. Uh, it's elementary, my dear Riker, sir. Exactly. That they were too engaged in their own affairs to have disabled the ship and murdered the engineer. Given the choice, they would rather kill each other than any of us. It's elementary. My dear Riker. Sir. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> the way he delivered the line was just pretty. He even like looked back like like scared all of a sudden. was like, sir. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I just love it. And then the ultimate best quote I thought of the whole thing. So he's just floating around out there. How can we settle for that? <laughs> that was that was Jordy. <laughs> that's <laughs> When Tasha comes back and she's like, we don't know coordinates he beamed out to, like, we can't find him. Yeah. And he's like, he's just floating around out there. How can we say that? Yeah, Jordy's like, no, no, this is, guys, no. <laughs> I was like, that's a mood. When you're like, wait, because this is what I'm talking about. This episode is so wild. Yeah. Like, your captain just turned into a beam of energy yes. and blasted himself out into space and maybe commingled with a different life form that's also pure energy. And you guys are just sitting there like fools for over an hour being like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, what do we do? Yeah. 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 I, I also like, I couldn't help but think that it's like, there was something really Elon Musky about this idea of turning into pure energy and just mm-hmm. like floating through mm-hmm. the cosmos. And 
you know, part of me wishing Elon Musk would just turn into energy and float away <laughs> into the cosmos. <laughs> but then he'd be around blue zapping everybody and we can't have that. I, but maybe he'd be zapping some people far, far away from Earth, you know, and then they would like just... <laughs> Someone else. Yeah, exactly. They'd like put him in a jar and just keep him there and be like, oh, we cannot let this life form do any more damage than it's already done. <laughs> Elon mm. Musk in a jar. Yeah, yeah. Is an amazing thought. I know. And it would be like the Ninja Turtles and the Splinters who put him there. That would that would just mm-hmm. that would just make my day. <laughs> oh. yeah. Well, my friend, do you have an episode reading? Um, oh yeah, my rating. I do have a rating. I had a hard time finding anything from Troy. Um this time. Yeah, I think we're beyond Troy now. Yeah. Um, oh yes. Yeah. Okay. So I got my, um, my rating comes from sweet, sweet Wesley. I've already, I've already told you what it is. Cause I was talking about it before my rating for this episode of I've learned a lot more than they understand. That's, oh, I love that. that's my rating because this episode I'm like, you know, it, it's got some, some spots, but <laughs> you know, you can tell that by now, the, the the team has has learned a lot more than they understand about how this show is going to work. And, yeah. you know, they they stepped in a few dog messes, but they also, you know, they they, they, they charted a bit of a path. So, you know, that that's my that's my rating. How about you? I love it. My episode rating is P for Picard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You win the rating for this week. I don't even know how I missed that. How did I miss that? Oh, I don't know, dude. I, it for took Picard. Me, I was just dying laughing. I was like, this a grown adult man just said, P for Picard. P for Picard? And like question, he like tur- <laughs> I turned to Deanna and was like, P for Picard? Yeah. Oh, and I was like, that's it. It would have been better if, if Deanna like turned back. It's like, no, no. Fucker, it's some other P for some random reason that we can't figure out right now. It surely has nothing to do with that. <laughs> it's like, who knows what he could be saying? It's a mystery. Well, get better just leave him out there. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, too good. Oh, okay. All right, friends. Well, join us on the next one, Season 1, Episode 7, Justice, where Wesley gets murdered for stepping on flowers. <laughs> Ooh, can't wait to see you then. (laughs) Yeah. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you then. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on our mission, comrade. To keep this galaxy-class starship chugging along, we need your help. If you like the show, consider supporting us by leaving us a good review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. Follow us on Instagram, share us with your friends, promote us on social media, or become a financial supporter of the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash redshirtcollective. Now, get off my ship. 